Mental Health Boot Camp Podcast! Woo! This is a podcast where four second therapists, three of us Canadian, one of us Americans, so we cutting edge mental health knowledge. I am Dr. Ryan Howes, a clinical psychologist in Pasadena, California. And I am Dr. Brooke Lewis, a registered clinical counselor from the greater Vancouver area. I'm Joanna Boyd, also a registered clinical counselor from the greater Vancouver area. I'm Chris Boyd, psychotherapist from Coquitlam. Welcome, everybody. It's great, grand to see your faces today. Yes. Welcome back. Yes, of course. Very excited tonight because we get to do our book club. Wait a minute. Is there a song for that? Um, gosh, I forgot if there's a song. Oh, yes, we have a song. Let's play it now. amazing well done it's better every time really does remarkable really does we should put Uh, it on apple itunes or something we should we should uh joanna had a birthday a couple weeks ago and i sent her her song just as that's the only present i gave her just that song (laughs) (laughs) yeah thank you so well done so well, it's the, the gift of herself, you know. Yes. <laughs> That's right. Here's here's one of your shining moments. One of your many shining moments in life. This this song right here. Yeah. Yeah. The wisdom and creativity to uh, do whatever you want to do. There you go. That's it. Of course. Wonderful legacy. Hmm. Huh? Yes. Be remembered forever. Hmm. <laughs> That I is actually true. have my, my other book club tomorrow night, so maybe I'll play it there. Oh, there we go. I guess <laughs> you don't have to do that. It's okay. You know, now that you mention it, that song, it doesn't say a mental health boot camp book club. It just says yeah. book club. It's time for book club. It could be used for anyone's book club. Sure can. Oh, my gosh. I got to copyright that now so that we can get some residuals so people start using it for their book clubs. You never know. Absolutely. That's great. It's the national song of, international song of book clubs. Yep. Okay. Well, uh, so as a special treat for our book club, I was actually able to have a chat with the author of this this book selection, this, this time that we selected a book. That's amazing. That's pretty neat. Yeah, it was very cool. It's probably nothing. The Stressless Guide to Dealing with Health Anxiety, Wellness Fads, and Overhyped Headlines by Casey Guerin. And we actually talked without the three of you guys as distractions. I'm just kidding. It was just (laughs) a time you guys weren't able to make it. And I was happy to do it. And uh, Casey was very generous with her time and, of course, with her expertise and uh, shared a lot of knowledge about the book. 
So I have that to present tonight. Yeah. Are you guys all fired up and ready to hear it? Yeah, movie night. Let's, Let's do hear it. it. We're ready. It's movie night. We will uh, we will start rolling the, the the tapes here, and we will launch right into Casey Guerin talking with me about it's probably nothing. And here we go. All right, I am here with Casey Guerin, freelance. Uh, writer for many different outlets, formerly from BuzzFeed and Self and probably many other outlets as well, and the author of It's Probably Nothing, which is our book club selection for this month. And uh, very excited to have you, Casey. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Now, Casey and I were just talking about the fact that uh, we've actually known each other for a while. She's uh, interviewed me a few times for different mental health uh, articles that she was writing. Uh, and so now I get to turn the tables here and I get to interview her and grill her about her book. <laughs> Hopefully uh, I was a nice interviewer to you over the years so that well, you, you were great. <laughs> You're great. I'm going to, I'm going to turn around all of the tough questions you asked me and be like, now, what do you think about this? Right. <laughs> right. That's it. Uh, so tell me about this book. Now this, of course, a lot of your own story is in here, which is nice. Um, nice to see that you, you're no one who's like above it all. You know, you've never Googled uh, a symptom or anything like that. Now you've been there and done that. Uh, what is it that, that caused you to put this book together in the first place? Good question. I mean, yeah, that you will see a lot of my experience in this book. And I think that's kind of what caused me to write it was realizing that I had this pretty unique perspective as someone who has been a health editor and writer for so many years mm -hmm. and um, has also been on the other end of that, uh, Googling her own symptoms in the middle of the night for many more years <laughs> than this has been my career. Um, and I realized that a lot of what I did on a day-to-day -day basis did help a bit with that anxiety around my health and my body. Yeah. Um, of course, getting to speak to experts like you, but also just you know, we're trained as health reporters to ask certain questions and dig through data and to really contextualize things in certain ways that were really refreshing to someone who, you know, thinks that they have everything they read about. <laughs> so yeah. yeah, which it was just a really interesting perspective that um, I felt like I it wasn't being, you know, the topic of health anxiety wasn't being covered a ton to begin with. Um, even someone who writes on health and wellness for a living. I just wasn't seeing it talked about a lot. So it felt like a very isolating experience. And when I did start talking to more people about it, more experts about it, and found out that this is definitely something that other people deal with, you know, to varying degrees, uh, it felt like, all right, why don't I put my health editor's toolkit out there and see if it helps people to navigate all of those wellness messages a little bit more easily. That's great. And and as you mentioned just before we, we started recording that this actually, this process started before the 2020, you know, the massive health anxiety that all of us experienced, right? So you actually right. started in this, what, 2019 or something? Or? Right. Yeah. I got the book deal in October, 2019 okay. and do October, 2020. So I started writing it. I started interviewing experts and had to then go back to them a few months later and be like, all right, let's, has anything changed? Like, should we talk about this a little bit differently? Right. Um, and I did, you know, I didn't want this to be a book about 
COVID health anxiety or a book about COVID. Um, so you'll see, of course, that coronavirus and the pandemic and those kinds of fears are definitely touched on in the book um, because we know that everything is everything that's going on is compounding a lot of these fears and anxieties for a lot of people. But it's also something that has kind of been brewing, you know, with the way that our healthcare system is structured and with the way that our media, you know, consumption habits have changed over the years. So I feel like this is not limited to the anxiety that we're all experiencing now. Um, but it was definitely um, an interesting obstacle to throw in the mix as I was writing this. Absolutely. Yes. I mean, it's something that people can certainly relate to, even if they never did beforehand, probably spent some time checking their temperature or, you know, doing some things over the last year and a half that, uh, uh, can really relate to this now. Oh yeah. If you didn't Google, like, is this allergies or COVID once over the last two years, I cannot relate to you. I don't understand what that's like. So, so let's talk about health anxiety. What, what actually is that? Um, how do you, how do you, how do you conceptualize health anxiety? Sure. So, I mean, you're the expert here. So of course, correct me if I'm wrong, but after talking to a lot of experts on this subject and doing a lot of research, I found that health anxiety is really referring to like the symptom um, that's associated with a few different mental health conditions. So, um, you know, hypochondriasis, of course, is what most people think of here. Um, but that, you know, I was interested to find out was axed from the DSM um, prior to the DSM-5, the most current edition. So, uh, was replaced with illness, anxiety disorder, and somatic symptom disorder, both mm. of which really focus on this fear and preoccupation with having or developing a serious health condition. Um, and then of course, you know, I found out that it can be a symptom that's in a few different mental health conditions like panic disorder, generalized anxiety disorder, OCD. So it is this almost colloquial term being a hypochondriac, you know, we throw it around a lot, but there is this nugget of truth behind it, the symptom that um, experts were talking about a little bit differently, it seemed like than the average person. So I really wanted to dive into that because when I looked at the DSM criteria for those disorders and where it talked about this health anxiety, I felt so seen. <laughs> I felt like I definitely get preoccupied about a symptom and think that it's something that it isn't. Um, it's not just, of course, thinking like, oh, I got a blood clot, like this pain is, must be a blood clot, you know, because I was on, I was on the plane or a train for mm -hmm. a long time. Um, but I think that that is like a fleeting moment of it that people can relate to. And if you're someone who focuses on these things a lot, and it's really interfering with your life, the way that it was in, in mine, uh, then I think it's helpful to know that this is a symptom of a few different conditions that you can really talk to people about and get help for. Sure, sure. Now, I think like like most people, I've, I've certainly had my own concerns, you know, wake up in the morning with a with a sore leg and I'm like, oh gosh, is this a, is this a blood clot? Is there something going on there? Or, you know, a random headache or something? Uh-oh, is it a tumor growing? And these sorts of things can happen all the time. Um, I've also got this for myself, uh, I've, I've always been able to, to feel my heartbeat, like my, like I never really have to take my pulse. It's just, I can always just feel it like, okay, there's my heart again. And, uh, and then reading about something about, uh Oh, if you're noticing, you know, heart, maybe there's, there's a flutter, maybe there's something going on there. And then that, that raises the anxiety. So sometimes the information is, I mean, 
big point of your book here. Sometimes the information is damaging, right? Or yeah. can, can cause more problems. Absolutely. And oh my gosh, the heartbeat one is totally one for me. Yeah. <laughs> Something I freaked out about many, many times. Um, and I, as I'm drinking coffee right now, and it's like, obviously me paying attention to my heart rate being different is like probably a byproduct of all the caffeine I'm drinking. Um, but yeah, I found that when I talk to a lot of psychologists who specialize in health anxiety and OCD, they all talked about this, um, preoccupation with what's going on in your body. Like you're almost paying too close attention to it. Mm -hmm. And so for me, I definitely was someone who was really in tune to changes in my heart beat or, you know, a, a mark that I don't think that mark was there before that bump or that lump and, um, yeah. paying too much attention. Uh, and that, like you said, can be fueled by information that you're getting elsewhere. So as a health editor, then I'm seeing all of these stories, I'm editing these stories that are like nine sneaky signs of cancer. And it's like, that is so not helping me. <laughs> Like, so I do think that, you know, there is this crossover between the health and wellness messages that we're getting exposed to, whether it's in the media or just like on an ad in the subway and the way that we tune into our bodies and, and really pay attention to them. And I do think that it can fuel that sometimes. One of the interesting parts of this book is the fact that you, as someone who produces a lot of this content, you know, you're also saying, Hey, wait a minute, let's not be, let's not pay too close attention to all that. It's, it's the idea that on one hand, you're kind of contributing to this, right? Yeah. And, and yet also trying to tell people, look, it's, it's not always, as, it's, it's, you know, it's probably not that, right? <laughs> right. And now, you know, it was a hard position to be in because I understand, you know, this content is helpful, can be helpful. You know, mm -hmm. I do think that health journalism plays a really important role in making this kind of information accessible to huge groups of people that might not otherwise be getting this information. Sure. So I definitely don't want to say, you know, this should not be information that's, you know, out on the internet. These articles shouldn't exist. They're all irresponsible. But I do think that the journalists and the editors need to be just a little bit more mindful about the framing of these things of, mm -hmm. you know, are we helping? Are we adding, um, something helpful to the conversation or is the framing of this, you know, often when it's framed as a question, like, could this be giving you cancer? Uh, I want to just tell all audiences often that answer is no, if it's in the form of a question. In sure. um, but yeah, it's not all bad. It's just, I think that we could be more discerning of uh, the way that we put those messages out there. And sure. then on the other hand, as consumers, we just need to be more mindful of the messages that we're getting. Absolutely. And, and as you say, clearly in the book, you know, read the article, like let's, the headline is one thing, the headline's a grabber, right? It's trying to pull you in. Um, the article might be, might, might have a much toned down version of uh, what the headline is trying to grab. Yeah. So often the headlines will tell you the, you know, relative risk, like this will increase your risk of dying by 20%. And you're like, oh my gosh, I'm definitely going to die if I have bacon. Um, but then you read the article and you see the absolute risk, like the actual change in numbers. And often it's a much less exciting version of what you saw in the headlines. So I do encourage people, and this is not just, you know, to get more clicks, but I do encourage people to read the actual article and look yeah. at the sourcing, look where it's coming from. Sure, sure. It's, yeah, the, the, the headline is the marketing piece, right? Let's, let's see mm -hmm. if you can, let's pull you in. And then once, once you're there, um, what something you just mentioned here, uh, chapter four, how to listen to your body just enough, right? And I love this line here. I have no problem listening to my body. 
I do, however, have a problem tuning that bitch out sometimes, right? Yeah, she can be a bitch. Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, like you said, even with the heartbeat, like I often, you know, you can start paying attention to something and then start spiraling. Yeah. And um, something that was explained to me by some of the experts in the book is how your body is kind of fueling that response, right? Like yeah. I've definitely had panic attacks in the past. And I think if anyone has experienced one, you know that your body can play tricks on you. It can start to create these actual real physical sensations um, based on you know what you're feeling, what's going on in your head. Oh, yeah. And so when you start focusing on on something that you think is a big deal, you can sometimes exacerbate it uh, to the point that now it it sound, it feels feels louder in your body. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Certainly. No. Uh, you know. Speaking of coffee, I've had clients in the past who are like, "Yeah, I drink four cups of coffee in the morning, and then I feel then then they notice their heart rate is is fast and 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 strong, and they uh, then they feel, oh no, I have a panic attack coming on, right? Mm-hmm. So they can start going from this is a, a, a caffeine thing to, oh, I'm having a panic attack. You start worrying about the panic attack and that sends you down that road, right? Yeah, definitely. Oh, I've absolutely been there and had to cut back on my caffeine intake a bit because of that. Sure, sure. Uh, you, uh, you do a good job of, uh, of, of, of slaying some, uh, some, some golden calves out there that uh, some people are, are really... Uh, passionate about these days, some things like CBD oil and uh, cleanses and that sort of thing, you know, very, very hip, popular things out there. Uh, what, what did you find out about about some of these, uh, I guess, products is what people yeah. are doing, right? Well, again, it, a lot of it comes down to marketing. So I, you know, I say in the book, like I'm not here to, you know, drag down any, any certain particular product, but um, we're my pet peeve comes in is in the the marketing of these products to people saying that, you know, this is better because it's natural or it's better because it's not, you know, a prescription uh, or that, you know, it can cure 15 different things. (laughs) And basically anything that is on the front of a package is just marketing. And I, I tend to uh, always look out for those red flags of, is this something that's kind of making you worried about a thing on your body or in your body, um, to, uh, an excessive degree. Like I, I often will see advertising that I'm like, I wasn't even worried about that. And now I am like, do I need that? So I highlight a few different things like that, like red flags in the book to look out for when you're looking at these products. But, um, yeah, the big ones are if it claims to cure a lot of things at once, but doesn't necessarily give you any science on the mechanism of how that happens. Uh, again, just kind of the same thing that you'd be looking at with an article that's like, you should try this for this. Okay. Where, where is their science on it? And is that science in humans? Is it in rats? Is it in Petri dishes? Um, is it in, you know, a, an amount of the ingredient that is so small compared to what is, or so large compared to what is in the actual product? Um, so asking those kinds of questions, uh, but also, considering that, you know, this one tiny product might not necessarily be the gatekeeper to this magic elixir when we do have uh, a lot of scientists and doctors maybe saying something to the contrary. I would just be wary of anyone who tells you they have the secret magic cure um, Mm -hmm. and it's only available from them. (laughs) Right. 
you often see, you know, on Instagram and with a lot of these wellness influencers. So not saying that CBD oil is, is trash or that, you know, any kind of juice that you're going to find is, is trash. But um, if it is encouraging you to, you know, use this instead of going to see a doctor around these concerns that you have, um, that I would be worried about. Uh, I've noticed in the last 20 years, a, a, a real increase in, um, just speaking from the journalism side, like, like content that is sponsored, right. Or kind of, uh, even, even the sponsorship might be hidden. Like, yeah, just, <laughs> uh, we're just a wellness site. We're just doing wellness stuff. Oh, and we're also going to happen to talk about CBD. Oh, and here's where you can order it, right? Right. Um, yeah. I, I just wonder what that's like from a from a journalistic perspective, because you know, there's people who are writing, sometimes free freelancers who are writing, but if there's a slant to it, that that must uh, raise some question marks, right? Yes. Yeah. It, you're right. It, a lot of times, the line between a purely editorial content and content mm -hmm. marketing is so fine. It's really hard for the average consumer to see. Uh, so I would really recommend that people kind of pare down their list of uh, whether it's news outlets or organizations that you trust for certain information. And I would say that information about your health, wellness, mental health, that yeah. those are the ones that you should have like that targeted list. But even then, I mean, like you said, you can have a magazine or a news outlet on that list that then is also producing sponsored and, and branded content. And mm -hmm. so for that, just be mindful of kind of looking around, look at the landscape because legally it's going to have features on that article that are different than their regular editorial articles. So mm -hmm. you might see that at the very top. Um, it'll often say it next to either the title or the person's byline. Like if it was saying by Casey Guerin, it might say by Casey Guerin. Uh, for this company that is not the editorial brand that is at the very top. Um, so it might say it in a very tiny little, you know, graphic in the corner. Um, that's sometimes all that's needed too. Um, and it should also say it somewhere within the actual text, um, either at the very beginning or the very end, that this is a piece of sponsored content. Um, but again, it's, it is meant to kind of camouflage in. Um, I think that a big part of being a journalist now is also navigating those kinds of partnerships and making tough calls about which ones you are going to have on your website and, and which you aren't. And that was definitely a, a big part of my job. Um, but yeah, as the consumer, you just have to really yeah. do more digging than you used to have to, to look around and make sure like this isn't a piece of sponsored content, or like you said, it isn't content marketing, like you Googled, you know, uh, what to do for a sensitive stomach and you popped up on this article. And then at the bottom, it's like, and here's the supplement that you need that we mentioned in the article. Right, right. <laughs> Sometimes that could be, um, just content marketing for an actual supplement brand. I'll tell you, even, even as I, I, I don't like calling myself an expert, but I guess that's technically what, you know, even as one of the, the, the people who are quoted in this, these things, sometimes, you know, sometimes people will call me up and say, hey, looking for some quotes for something. And and now nowadays I need to kind of if it's if it's a uh, a brand that I don't I don't recognize, I have to Google them and figure out, OK, am yeah. I am I going to be contributing to someone's sales here or or what? Yeah. Uh, who is this group that I'm, I'm giving my little quotes to, you know? Right. And just, you know, a tip for other experts you know, listening yeah. to your show 
it's a totally reasonable thing to ask when you are being asked to interview for even an editorial outlet. Is this purely an editorial article or is this a um, sponsored or branded article? I think that's totally fine to ask and the editor, you know, can let you know. Good. I will do that. I'm going to do that next time. Certainly. Of course. Can we talk about the fried rice sy- syndrome, please? <laughs> One of the stories in the book that my friends will never let me live down. Yes. Um, yeah. I mean, I think that this is a good example of just kind of how much you can spiral when you have um, been exposed to these kinds of fear-mongery, let's say, health stories on the internet, which we see all the time, right? Like, um, you know, experts, of course, talk about the availability bias and, you know, seeing these scary stories all the time right now, you know, of course being COVID, but I happen to see a lot of stories in probably a month's time around, uh, this guy who died after eating fried rice or after, no, he ate, ate pasta, um, right. and it was linked to, uh, he left it out or something for a few days and some bacteria got in, yes, which, you know, don't leave pasta out for five days. Um, but, uh, this is apparently something that has been documented in literature before, and they've given it the very nice term of fried rice syndrome, because often it is a a type of bacteria that is found in food like rice and pasta that's been left out at room temperature. So they've seen it happen with like buffet services and stuff like that. But again, it's very rare. This has been documented in the research in case studies and case reports, which are only there because they're very rare. Mm-hmm. But someone uh, got a hold of this case study and made a YouTube video, like almost reenacting it. It was very weird. And so that YouTube video surfaced and was getting a lot of traffic and a few different outlets started covering it as if it was a story that just happened. Mm-hmm. And they weren't, you know, really talking about the fact that this was like one case study that happened years ago and that this is super rare. They just were like, this guy ate old pasta and died Mm -hmm. from this very rare, scary, you know, bacteria. And that's a horrible, (laughs) horrible story to read. Um, especially if you do get anxious about things like that, as I do. Um, but I felt like I at least had a little bit more background in like, okay, I know that this is a case study. This isn't going to happen all the time. It didn't stop it from being like permanently planted in the back of my head (laughs) as a thing that could happen. And so, I, of course, you know, forget about it, or I think I forget about the story. And I had some leftovers that uh, were very old and I thought they were my leftovers. They were not, Ah. (laughs) they were someone else's. I thought they were my leftovers from the day before. Um, But I happened to remember that I had asked for no onions. And so I'm eating these leftovers. They taste kind of weird. I noticed they have onions. They are definitely my exes that were in the fridge from like a week prior. Oh boy. I'm like, okay, well, these are going to kill me. Um, so I immediately remember all of those stories of the fried rice syndrome and I just start spiraling wow. and I'm calling, you know, my friends in the medical community. I'm like, am I going to die from this, you know, very, very old literal fried rice. Like this time it was actual fried rice. Yeah. And they're like, no, you're not going to die. It's fine. And, you know, I start quoting, you know, the articles that I read about this and uh, my friend's husband, who's a gastroenterologist was like, that is so rare. (laughs) And it was documented because it was rare. And it, you know, if you feel sick, you know, we should take you in to a doctor, but you don't, so you're going to be fine. 
But again, it just highlights that when you mm-hmm. see these stories a lot, they do stick with you, even though I, you know, had thought I totally forgot about it. Um, and so I, again, I just highlights the importance of like, was that a story that needed to be everywhere? Yeah, <laughs> like, sure. I mean, it, it does, I guess, highlight the importance of food safety and this bacteria, but the framing should definitely be um, about how rare this is mm-hmm. and not uh, that everyone needs to know about, you know, this thing that could kill you if you eat too old of, of leftovers. And sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, that's... <laughs> I'm glad you're okay. I'm glad the fried rice was all right. Uh, me too. Me too. Um, I definitely, uh, yeah, I was like, I'm considering, you know, should I make myself sick? My friend's like, don't do that. No, absolutely don't do that. <laughs> it it kind of goes to the, the thing of like, you know, how we're, we're uh, scared of shark attacks because we hear about those, but you know, like as far as animals are concerned, like malaria kills a lot more people than you know, mosquitoes kill a lot more people than sharks do, but you don't hear about that as often. It's the sensational, right? This case study of one person is shocking and we take that in and think, uh-oh, it's going to happen to me, right? Yeah. And I think, you know, we're seeing that right now with COVID, of course, not to say that any of that is, yeah. is overblown, but the fact that it is something that is in our daily consciousness all the time and that we are being told to monitor ourselves for symptoms to keep ourselves and those around us safe, I definitely adds to, you know, the sense of personal responsibility that a lot of people with anxiety already Mm -hmm. um, might have thinking that they have this, you know, exaggerated uh, risk. And that was definitely one of the most interesting things I learned in reporting the book was that um, that people with anxiety tend to overestimate their risk. <laughs> yes, kind of grab onto it. The, the anxiety yeah. kind of lands on this thing and and uh, takes over, right? Right. So those articles that are like, you know, what is your, what could this stomach ache be, or what could this sore throat be, um, you know? And there's ten different options of what it could be, ranging from not a very big deal to a very big deal. Uh, I think most people with anxiety around their health or body are going to latch on to the biggest deal one in that list. Sure. Uh, so I do think being aware of that when we're creating that content and when we're reading it is super helpful. Definitely. I think, I think a lot of the book is, is kind of a caveat emptor buyer beware, right? Like just yeah. be aware of what you're doing and, and you do a great job of breaking down, like even how statistically without getting too deep in the weeds, you know, kind of how, look, this is what the article's saying. And, you know, a 5% chance among this population you know, is not the same thing as everyone's going to get it. So I, I think this is, it's, it's worth a read for anybody who's, uh, who's curious about that, just to learn how do we, how, how do, how do the researchers uh, present this data and what is it really meaning instead of, um, you know, just kind of, uh-oh, everyone's going to get this, this disease, right? right. Well, thank you. I, I hope it is that helpful guide for people. You know, I do uh, get asked a lot, like, who was this book for? Is it for people who identify as being a hypochondriac? And, of, you know, of course, definitely for those people in your life, uh, but also just anyone with a body who has been exposed to these kind of messages all the time that we're getting in the media or in advertisements that do make us question a lot of our symptoms and, you know, if we're taking care of ourselves the best way. So mm-hmm. if you need some help kind of navigating all of that, or if you're someone who does take an interest in, in your health and wellness and has those questions, I hope that this does help you to uh, be a little bit more discerning. 
Yes, yes. As and I'll say as a as a psychologist, oftentimes I'll have clients come in and say, "Oh, I read this article about this thing, um, and I think I might have this syndrome or this yeah. this this disorder, this disease." And and I got to say for myself, I. I appreciate that they're that they're interested in it and that they're looking these things up and that they're trying to educate themselves. And sometimes, sometimes it may be something that uh, I'd overlooked and it actually is accurate and that is something to, to focus on. All, a lot of times, it's like ah, that might be you know you might be overplaying a little bit, you know. Yeah. Like OCD. People oftentimes talk about OCD. It's a very popular thing to talk about these days. And and uh, you know just the fact that you double check the uh, the stove that you turn it off that doesn't mean that you're they have ocd you know the disorder but uh you know certainly some things to, to consider and I, yeah. I'm, so i'm all for people trying to educate themselves but um certainly you know run it by an expert if you uh if you have any concerns right yeah definitely i mean that's something i heard from a lot of doctors i quoted in the book was they don't want to say that you know Google is bad and that you shouldn't be Googling your symptoms. Like I never want someone to think like they can't do any of that research. But um, something that came up a lot is like, what are you trying to accomplish with that search? Like, are you trying to just get any kind of reassurance seeking out of the way? Like you want to find with certainty that you have this disorder or that you are dying or that you're fine. Um, you're not going to find that on Google, but right. you might find some information that helps you feel more prepared for a discussion with your doctor. Mm -hmm. um, and that is, you know, totally reasonable and a very smart thing to do. So yeah, don't want people to think I'm saying never go to Google again. No. Um, but yeah, doctors, and, and also don't be afraid to bring that up to your doctor um, or your therapist that you Googled right. something because that can lead to a very empowering conversation. Absolutely. I find that those, that one thing, one side effect of that is it, it gives people the language to be able to talk about it, right? Right. And I know, oh, I'm, this is the difference between an obsession and a compulsion. And I feel like I'm having compulsion, you know, whatever that might be. Right. Yeah. Now they're a little more informed. You can have a, a, a more informed conversation, which is helpful. Yeah, definitely. I got to say my, my 13 year old son was noticing a couple of symptoms of something a little while ago and he Googled uh, that, the, the <laughs> symptoms. And I was like, uh oh, you know, it's starting, you know, um, yeah. but as it turns out, he was absolutely right. He found the right thing. It was, yes, it's exactly what it is. That was great. That's so fun. I mean, I hope that he's okay, um, but, but yeah, exactly. Like I, I don't want people to be, you know, also scared that if they are having these questions or concerns around their body or they're Googling it a lot, that again, that dooms them to having a, a certain mental health condition, because I think that that can also of course be stigmatizing and to your point, it, it can also be a really confusing area to be in when we say that, um, you know, you might not have these things that you find online because of course there's a long history of people being dismissed by doctors. Um, and so I, it's not to say that, you know, all of this is in your head, um, yeah. but it's just a really, it's a tricky middle ground to be in that both you can be um, focusing on symptoms almost like a little too much and excessively, and it can be interrupting your day-to-day -day life, but also that you should be empowered to bring these things up, bring these concerns up with your care team. So tell me, final question for you, Casey. Um, in writing this book and, and surveying all these experts and, and getting this data, did that help decrease your own health anxiety or is it still, still present? 
It really did. And I don't want to be like, oh, just, you know, just write a book <laughs> and that'll get rid of it. Um, but really, I think that, you know, this book is so aligned with the work that I've done in the rest of my career around, um, you know, accessible and inclusive health reporting. And I think that those are the tools that I wanted to give people is like, what if everybody who gets as stressed out about their body as I do had access to this like toolkit of, of knowledge and, and tactics that I use on a day-to-day basis, because that really has helped lessen my anxiety around my health, being able to contextualize those statistics better and being able to kind of call bullshit on some advertisement that's telling me that I need this oil or serum, you know, to live better. Um, so I do think that, you know, immersing myself in this stuff has totally helped, but, uh, I think that the big takeaway for other people is that like this kind of context can be helpful if you get worked up about these questions too, but also that there are actual experts like yourself out there who it's your whole job to help people (laughs) with that. And I think I really thought that, you know, being a little bit of a hypochondriac was just something to deal with. And it wasn't something that I could actually talk to, you know, an expert about. So if you're also someone, you know, thinking that like there are definitely resources out there for you. Absolutely. Well, thank you. Thank you for your time. Thank you for writing the book. I think it's going to help a lot of people. So I appreciate that. I appreciate you. Thank you so much for having me. And there we are. Amazing. Wasn't that cool? It was neat. That was really good. It was really good. Seems so, uh, so personable, eh? Yes. Oh, yeah, very personable. The natural great, these uh, podcasts, my goodness. Totally. That's, yeah, she's a great speaker. Just effortless. Yeah, that was that was very clear. She definitely knows her stuff. You know, spent a long time, as she's talking about, you know, she had a year of doing the research and writing for this book. And, uh, you know, and I just love the fact that she started, you know, she got the camp contract in October of 2019. Had to turn it in October of 2020. Oh, just the mass, most massive health crisis in, in our lifetime, you know, uh, and had to go back and talk to the doctors again and say, uh, anything, <laughs> anything changed? Anything new to add? There's yeah. So much information there. Absolutely. I can imagine. Yeah, that would just be overwhelming. Like, you know, when you're so engrossed in a project and you just need to get away from it. So here she is writing about health anxiety and to get away from it, everyone's talking about a pandemic. I can like, that must've been exhausting. Must've uh, been uh, yeah, a difficult process. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was exhausting for, for everybody else who wasn't r- writing a book about it. Right. So imagine if that was also your kind of your job for that period of time. My goodness. So yes. Um, so just to kind of recap some of the, I mean, we need to recap it point by point, but I just was curious about some of your thoughts about some of the things that we talked about. We are talking about uh, like, you know, health anxiety in general. Uh, she was talking about her own, you know, concerns, she even kind of, kind of labeled it uh, hypochondriasis, right? And how a lot of us, whether it's to a, a severe degree or even a minor degree, you know, every once in a while, something comes up and you get concerned about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe it's not fully preoccupying, but it's something that, uh-oh, what could that mean, right? I uh, got to see here, has everyone on this podcast, all four of us, has everyone here Googled their symptoms before? 
for something at some point. Oh yeah. Many times. Yeah. Absolutely. I think this book, this book was for me. So I related to it a lot. <laughs> you did. Okay. Well. Yeah. Yes, I have I just, to. Yeah. 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 Yeah, Joe, tell me about that. I didn't realize that was that it was written yeah. for you. I didn't realize that Casey wrote it for you. Well, I just think when it comes to I think it was I just I think it's very relatable. I think all the way she wrote it or the things that it was about or just the health anxiety or having an ache or pain and Googling it right away or being concerned about different things. Like I've just done that multiple times over my life and I'll go to the doctor for aches and pains and I just, you go down the rabbit hole of what could this be? Um, and so I think it's, it's probably nothing is something that, yeah, I've been reminded of by people in my life. And uh, I think there's always a little bit of that anxiety of, well, what if it's something? And uh, so I think it's a good reminder, especially to be very choosy of where you get your information from and to kind of not jump down that rabbit hole. I think it's, there's so much information out there. So yeah, I just thought it was, yeah, very even double checking different things or not uh, jumping to conclusions. So I just thought it was helpful. Yeah, yeah. for sure. It's interesting, isn't it? The, um, this phenomenon is being talked about more that, you know, the Google doctor or Googling your symptoms. I've talked to my own GP about that a number of times because he often brings it up. He's like, Oh, did you Google the symptoms? I'm like, Oh yeah, of course I did. And I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm in for it. I'm, basically uh, a goner but uh makes you appreciate medical science a bit too in terms of what goes into diagnosing a situation uh, diagnosing a situation and and the prognosis there right like um so when i was when i talked to him he often puts my mind at ease because he talks about the decision making process i kind of wish that he or some other doctors or doctors would probably uh um do more to to share that information out there because a lot of these websites that pop up are the fifth or sixth line is usually cancer or um, death, you know, maybe a bit of an extreme, but, but you know what I, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But they typically all say like consult your physician totally. sure. right? Uh, as well. They're covering their bums that way. But even as therapists, I mean, I'm sure we've all encountered clients that have come into our offices that say, I'm pretty sure I have this or, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, regardless, who knows what they're going to come in with, but they've self-diagnosed. And when you ask about it, they say, well, I was Googling it. And then, okay, well, what were you reading and what were you looking at? And how, like, yeah. yeah. So I know, there could be some value in that. There could, sorry, Ryan, there could yeah. be some value in that. Um, you know, just, you know, even talked about in your discussion today, Ryan. Yeah, I think there could be some, but you just got to be careful. Got to be cautious a little bit. Yeah. And Absolutely. hey, it's, it's getting people to come in. Where they're like, oh, there might be a name to for this, and there there's probably treatment for this, so I should probably get help for this. Um, so in that regards, it's a good thing. Yeah, I it's, agree. Yeah, it's kind of funny too because there's other people on the other end of the spectrum, right? Where um, you can write a book saying it's probably something, is because they minimize all the symptoms. Mm -hmm. Yeah, a book for uh, a book for Brooke. Yeah. It's probably nothing, and then uh, that's fine when it is actually could be something and you should go see your doctor or Google it maybe. But anyways, a side note there. That's interesting. That, that would have been a good, you should have given me that question to ask her. That's a good point. No, but I think you're right. There's, there's the, 
the Brook to Joanna spectrum here, right? <laughs> of, of where do you lie between Brook and Joanna when it comes to uh, uh, symptom management or symptom recognition and I guess anxiety about that, right? Where, yes, it could be problematic if you're like, hmm, I haven't been able to move my left arm for a month. I wonder what's going on, you know? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> to, oh my gosh, I feel a slight tingling sensation. What's going on? You know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. that's great. Yeah, but just back to the point, I, as I said in the, in the interview a little bit, I actually do enjoy it when someone brings in a concern and says that they've been researching it. It shows that they're invested and that they're interested and they, you know, they, they want to learn more. Um, oftentimes I have to describe because and this is something we've gotten into a little bit, but uh, physical diagnoses and psychological diagnoses don't always, they're not always the same thing. Like uh, as far as, you know, the, the, the clarity, psychological diagnoses are more just kind of a cluster of symptoms that we kind of put a name to. Uh, it's not the same thing as being like diagnosed with diabetes, which is kind of a you are, you aren't sort of situation. So it's a little a little grayer when it comes to psychological stuff, but uh, but still, I'm, I want to have that discussion if we want to talk through what's what's going on and and start talking about what people can do to help help themselves or what we can do to try to help them. That's that's important. It just shows that they care and they want to be aware and and uh, take control of it. So that's. So yes, so we've all we've all <laughs> done a little Google diagnosis of our own stuff from time to time. Um, and Chris, as you mentioned, yes, sometimes you get to that that panic point. I guess I wonder, have you guys found it helpful to Google your own symptoms? Has it has it ever been beneficial for you, at least to give you language or anything, or is it just raise anxiety for you? Hmm, I think it's, for me, yeah. it's a. Uh... More often than not, I get frustrated. I'm like, oh, I just need to book an appointment with the doctor. Mm. It's, there's so much overlap in symptoms between physical symptoms for so many different diagnoses that it's how can you clear something out where it's like symptoms may include and then your may include list is the same as yeah everything else, right? So it's right. like, this is not actually helping. There's no clarity for the majority. But then there, I, was, I was very sick in uh, summer of 2019. And I felt like I wasn't quite getting the answers from medical professionals about what I was experiencing. I was trying to describe what I was experiencing, but they, they didn't really provide me clarification. So in that circumstance, it was helpful because I was trying to find the language. Like what is, what's the name to the thing, I'm, the symptom I'm experiencing? What, what would somebody call that, right? So, and then understanding what that is or why that symptom happens. I know it's not gonna treat the symptom, but to be able to name it and kind of know what it is was helpful. To my best guess, whether or not it was actually called that or is that, I don't know. Sure. I think I'm um, like 50-50. I often do a lot of research. I go down the rabbit hole of Google and. To, to Brooks point is, is tough because you if you don't know the term then you can go down the wrong rabbit hole and whatnot but it's kind of nice to show up to a doctor's appointment and kind of kind of know what you're talking about like ask certain questions um so sometimes i'm way off other times i'm kind of on the right track or you can rule out certain concerns that i do have that were kind of created by google mm -hmm. right google searches once i actually know what's going on then sometimes i google it again and see 
what uh, if that kind of changes the outcome there. But so half and half. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, same for me. Yeah. I think it's I think it can be helpful. And I think it's always it's always just good to be like, I can't um if this is more distressing to me, I have to keep in mind uh or if it's adding to a lot of distress, I have to keep in mind that I actually don't know for sure and to always consult with a medical professional with like my own doctor and things. But I just think it's interesting to be like, is this something or but it it is hard when it could be many things, but I think some things have been helpful for me just to especially like like gut related stuff. I've been learning a little bit about that. Um, and just then I'm able to have that language for nutritionists I spoke to and things like that. So you give language to it. You learn more about your body in some ways if you're yeah. looking in appropriate places. So I'll also say that sometimes, sometimes visiting the doctor doesn't necessarily uh, relieve oh. the symptoms before or relieve the stress before it, you know, diminishes. I, at one point I was feeling some, well, I, I thought it was heartburn. Right. And so I, I went to the doctor and said, yeah, you know, I'm having this kind of this pain, it's pain in my chest. And they went, Oh, pain in your chest. Boom. Let's get the EKG going. Let's schedule a stress test. Let's really check oh, out wow. your heart. Cause that's what they, that's what they need to do. They need to rule out heart stuff. And then I'm thinking, Oh my God, what's wrong with my heart. And, uh, go through the stress tests and all the, all the different stuff there. And they're like, Oh, it's not your heart. It's heartburn. <laughs> Change your diet. Pick one of these. You know, it was very, very simple, but you know, I, it's not like, uh, it's not like just going to the, the MD is going to, you know, suddenly you're going to have the, uh, the easy answer. Sometimes you got to go through a process because diagnosis is not an easy thing to, to come to sometimes. Right. They have to always have oh, to rule sure. out those uh, those more difficult diagnoses too. Yeah, or so the opposite can happen where you go in and you yeah. get slept off, or it gets minimized for whatever yeah. reason. Whether that's how they were deducing it that day, or maybe that doctor just came out of a string of appointments where they were giving really horrible news to people, or sure. we're dealing with crises, or you know, a variety of reasons why their perspective might be where it is on where your symptoms are at and and often i think the client leaves feeling minimized or invalidated sure. when uh yeah i don't i don't think that any doctor's intent is to do that i think there's probably a reason behind it right but yeah so that can happen too that is true that is true so it takes some time it takes uh it takes going to to the correct sources at, a lot of what this book is about, I think it's I think it's great that's written by someone who spent so many years writing for the the health journalism space because um, she has a great way of of describing. Okay, kind of here's what here's what you might be up against when when you read a headline. Right, headlines are there to kind of grab you and pull you in, and sometimes they are uh, a little sensational and kind of evoke a little bit of that fear to, to get you to click on and, and read the article. Um, but as she says several times in the book, you know, you got to read the whole thing. You gotta, try not to stop at the headlight. If you're, if you're intrigued by something, read the whole thing and, uh, and see that oftentimes they'll give some of that same uh, uh, information in there that, you know, check with the doctor and 
you know, there are some things that are outliers that that might this might be, but usually it's not you know, that sort of thing. Uh, but you know, just kind of how the uh, the information industry, you know, the uh, the sharing the health and wellness uh, information in, in articles um, can sometimes provoke some of that anxiety for people too. Mm -hmm. So I think that's, yeah. and it's great, you know, also she goes pretty deep into how to, how to read some of the, the studies and how to discern what, uh, what is a, a study, an article that's actually um, giving hard data that's, that's useful for you and some that where they might be sensationalizing it a bit too. I do have sort of criticisms. Okay, let's hear it. I'm going to go there. I need, I feel like uh, due diligence, I feel like we need to let the readers know that the majority of the examples are geared towards females. Hmm. Mm -hmm. So yeah. reading the book, like she's going to give examples of things that might be Googled or create anxiety um, and reading through them, I was like, this is like a lot of women's issues, rightfully so, because she's been writing about I think mostly women's health or from a women's health spin. So just a heads up for readers on that. If uh, if you're a male and you're reading it, oh, there's a lot of good information for both genders, but the examples that she's going to give are more oriented to a female body. You know, Brooke, I didn't even pick that up. It's interesting. Really? Yeah. I mean, now that yeah, you say no, it. Right away. Yeah. Now that you say it, I think know. it makes sense, but. What other book I've read where vulva has been used that often? I was like, there's like, I feel like yeah. she used, yeah, talking about vulvas like 20 times. I'm like, okay. Yeah. Are you talking I, about I just, the, the, the yeah. Swedish car, Brooke? <laughs> <laughs> no, oh, not, no, not the Swedish. Okay. I yes. um, has lost my uh, train of thought there. Oh, sorry. Oh, it's, yeah, the women example, like a lot of women examples are. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I would agree. Um, but I, I just kind of assume that was by design. Like that's kind of her niche. Yeah. And um and she delivered that very well, right? Mm -hmm. Those examples. And I'm sure that's going to resonate with a lot of the female readers. Mm -hmm. yeah. And but to your point, Brooke, the, the information is good for anyone who can read it. It's just more of the those specific examples she chooses, right? Yeah. Because it's so, more of yeah, probably stuff totally. that she's experienced or stuff she's written about and but I do like that element of it is you can tell she's a professional writer because it's very down to earth and she normalizes it extremely well. Um, it's where I think a lot of people don't talk about this as openly. So I thought she, uh, you can tell that she's uh, a pro. Yeah. Uh, very much a pro and very, I, I loved the, you know, as down to earth, you know, there's, there's swearing in the book. It's always very appropriate and very, you know, sometimes funny to add some levity. Um, but it's, it's something that says, okay, she's like, she's one of us. Right. And uh, I think when, especially when reading more like medical articles and things like that could be so stuffy and so kind of clinical, this is very much a uh, accessible user-friendly sort of read. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And on that note, so if you're a reader looking for something more almost clinical, like give me all the research that you know about health anxiety and 
research about different treatment modalities, like that's not this book. This is definitely a more accessible, yeah, reader friendly, digestible, a lot of good info in there, but very digestible info. Definitely. I, I talked about the uh, the how to listen to your body just enough uh, chapter because that one really kind of spoke to me because I mean we even in psychology we talk a lot about listening to your body right especially you know you have emotions you have trauma you have you know the body keeps the score I mean there's all all sorts of things to talk about how we need to be more in our bodies and more present and focused to our bodies and attention paying attention. Um, but sometimes when it comes to, if you're dealing with health anxiety, fo focusing too much on all your bodily sensations can be uh, problematic. It can weigh you down or get in the way, right? Mm -hmm. So. Absolutely, yeah, for sure. It's yeah. kind of the essence of anxiety, isn't it? The anticipation of harm and danger. Yeah. And then, you know, the more you kind of focus on the what ifs, the more it kind of manifests inside your body. So it's like this, feedback loop you, your mind can spiral on you but it's more like a, a tornado yeah yeah it's a fascinating thing anxiety but when it's focused on your own body my goodness that could be very intensive absolutely well that's like so primitive right is survival how do i keep surviving so if something's wrong how do i fix it so i keep surviving it's very primitive yeah it but is. yeah, Ryan, I agree. It's interesting how with health anxiety, like when we're being mindful, we want to be aware of our body sensations, but that doesn't mean like uh, fixating on those body sensations. Mm -hmm. So part of being mindful is being aware, but letting them go. Like, um, you know, metaphors are used all the time, like clouds in the sky or a leaf in a river, you see the leaf, but then it keeps going. So same with if we have sensations, we're aware of them, we can name them, we know they're there, but we don't like stare at the leaf and run down the river with it. We don't fixate on it, we let it go. Mm -hmm. So it's that fine balance of present in the moment, present in my body, present in the moment, present in my body. Yeah. Interesting. I wonder if, um, yeah, for sure. Yeah, that curiosity or being non-judgmental towards what's going on there. Mm -hmm. But I wonder for those who are more likely to experience health anxiety, it might be better to focus different forms of mindfulness, right? So we're focusing more on your outer world, for instance, exactly. cycling through the senses or focusing more on things that you can see or touch yeah. instead of the body, you know? Because mm -hmm. I, I do have clients, they have a hard time focusing on the sensation of breathing, right? Because they feel that actually intensifies that level of stress and anxiety. So. Yep. I can see that. And I think, you know, if you are experiencing a, a, a physical pain of some sort, I think acknowledging that, being aware of it. But I think if you're 100% of your, your, your brain focus is on that pain itself, and how much it hurts and how it doesn't seem to be going away and all of that. I think that's really just going to raise the anxiety, right? Mm -hmm. Oh gosh, I feel like that was everyone at the beginning of the pandemic, mm. right? Like any throat tickle, any like, like everything was just, you, and then you focus on it and you're like, I like, I am hot. Eh? Do I do like, do I have a temperature? Like it just exacerbates your symptoms if you focus on them. So gosh, what a time that anyway. I, we, I have little, one of those ear thermometers, right? Little, uh, 
digital ear thermometers. And during the first three months of that uh, of the pandemic, I must have gone through three batteries for that thing. <laughs> testing myself, I testing my kids. Did you? <laughs> yeah, I did. <laughs> oh, oh, I have it in my bag. Mm -hmm. I'm feeling a little warm. Oh no. Oh, I just yeah. ran three miles. That's why. Okay. <laughs> you know, something like that. Yes. Yeah. And and again, that's and that's that's anxiety. But there, you know, we're also we're surrounded by a lot of threat at that point and a lot of oh. news telling us uh, be careful. Check your temperature. So yeah. Trust. What's your what's your takeaway as you uh, as we as we close up this book? Uh, what do you think you're gonna take with you as going forward? Um, again, I like the the normalizing part of it. So you're definitely not alone. The more information that's going to be put out there, the more you need to be diligent in terms of checking the sources. So I think everyone needs to learn this skill and this, they should be teaching this in school is where do you, how do you, or what information um, can you access and how do you make sure it's actually balanced and healthy? I think that's. Yeah, I, I'm going to ditto Chris. Like, I think it's mm -hmm. the big takeaway. Yeah. Is. Because um, I feel like us as persons who have read many, many research articles, we do pick apart and ask questions about these research articles. But genuinely, if I'm reading a health article online, I'm sure I'm open and curious, but I'm typically not in the like mindset where I'm being overly critical or like I'm just reading it for the sake of reading it. And but I feel like the takeaway would be like paying more attention to the words they're using. And is there a little thing that says sponsored as sponsored by, mm -hmm. or, or is there the little, yeah. yeah, like, is there a little logo there and how is that tying it in and like trying to see the tricks kind mm -hmm. of as to uh, the purpose of the information and what they're trying to do. And is there a spin to this and, uh, and where did they cite things appropriately? That one's a real pet peeve of mine because obviously you would get in big trouble if you didn't source things properly in school, right? Yeah. It's kind of funny. There's no one's going to read an article that says you're doing okay. No. Your symptoms are nothing. Right. If it's, it's going to be dramatic, right? It's going to be have a negative slant to it. Yeah. 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 I, yeah, I echo all of that I think um and just I think it's interesting too you like she mentioned about the different products right CBD or these big things that go trendy like quinoa was trendy before CBD will help with everything like all kale these health chips. things yeah. kale chips and, celery and juice? Coconut, coconut oil and the celery juice every morning like and people just jump onto these things and I've been guilty of it for sure and I think it's just taking a step back and be like these are companies who are also, and, you know, just thinking about it critically a little bit more. And mm -hmm. the, she, you know, she noted the things that promised to everything, uh, you know, be like, what is actually going on? And I'm pretty, do I actually need to take that? Probably not. Like all these things are anyway. So just that critical mind, um, I think is great. And yeah, I think it's just a friendly reminder for me too. It's, you know, I think there could be value for looking some things up. I think it gives me a peace of mind sometimes. 
Um, but it's just also take everything with a grain of salt and don't let it go to the, if it's adding to your anxiety, keep it to a minimum, but yeah, I'll probably still continue to look stuff up, but now we'll do so even more with a critical eye and not take everything just because it said on, you know, online or on paper or wherever. So. Absolutely. What about uh, you, Ryan? Well, I, in the interview, Casey gave me a great gift in there and saying, look, if you're not sure about, uh, you know, where this article is going, like when, if I'm giving an interview to somebody, mm -hmm. uh, then it's, it's quite okay for me to ask them, Hey, is this, you know, is this sponsored material or, you know, what's, what's, mm -hmm. where's this going? You know, um, you know, if it's, if it's with one of the big outlets, I, I probably don't need to do that, but if it's with something else, some other, you know, healthy, this, that, or the other, it's okay for me to uh, to ask, and that's very helpful. I'm going to be doing that in the future here. Mm -hmm. um, so that's one personal takeaway from that. But also, I guess what what kind of strikes me is, you know, with anxiety, um, one of the one of the big problems that I see in my clinical work is that is when someone has something that they're afraid of or scared of, and they kind of keep it to themselves. And then it, that isolation of that, it just grows and grows and grows. And what I heard from her and through the book is, you know, don't just take it from a single source, Re, you know, expand a little bit, talk about it, talk about it with, if you've got a health anxiety, certainly talk with your doctor about it, or if you have trusted friends or family, talk with them about it. Um, don't just listen to an article that's kind of generally passed out there to the, the masses. Um, that's not really speaking specifically to you, you know, go ahead and, and discuss this with people around you, you feel you can trust, um, particularly uh, trained medical professionals, if that's, if that's the sort of problem it is. Um, I just think we, the more data we can gather, the better. And just looking to one specific source that may have a slant or may not be written for you or may not be well informed, that's not going to be the best. Uh, a source of data, you know. Good one. Yeah, for sure. Yes. So thank you once again, Casey Guerin, for the book, for writing yeah. it and for talking with us about it. Uh definitely enjoyed it. We also have a new book club selection, right? We do. Uh Joe, do you do you have it? I do. Okay. What is it called? Um it's called The Sibling Effect, uh, What Bonds Among Brothers and Sisters Reveal About Us. And it's by Jeffrey Kluger. Kluger. Okay. The Sibling okay. Effect. Awesome. I look forward to hearing what that's like. And also, there's even a chapter in there on only children and twins and other things. So it's not only for, for people with siblings, but I... Look forward to reading it and hearing about how uh, how siblings help to to shape us and form us, right? Influence us. Pretty interesting. Are you trying to? So, for the people who are watching on YouTube right now, Chris is uh, the Queen Queen Elizabeth is waving to us in the background there. She's been hanging out behind me the whole time. Just I know. Chilling. I put her there earlier. I was doing a session downstairs there, and one of my clients in the background had like a full mannequin who was like a female mannequin wearing like a floral, flowy dress thing. Uh, and it had a wig, but it also had like a hard hat. 
And so I had to ask questions about this and it was, it's a teenager and she was, she's at her grandparents' place right now. So who knows what the story behind this mannequin was. So I was like, well, I have a random thing in the basement too. Would you like to see this? So she said, sure. So I moved Queen Elizabeth. So nice. Um, yeah. Do all houses in Canada, are they all equipped with a Queen Elizabeth? Is that what you guys have? They there? should. That would be quite fun. And uh, David Hasselhoff. And a David Hasselhoff. Mm. If, of course. Yeah, he's actually looking me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> across from me, surrounded. And uh, Justin Bieber, John Candy, and all these other folks, right? So Celine Dion, Alanis Morissette, of course. Ryan Reynolds. <laughs> you guys got them all. Well, that's it, you guys. This was fun to talk about this stuff. I'm going to go Google some of my symptoms after this. So uh, that's it for tonight. We'll talk to you next time. Doodle. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Oh, I'll say like and subscribe. Apple, Apple, Google, Podbean, Audible, Spotify, Stitcher, YouTube. Send your questions to info at mentalhealthbootcamp.com. Visit us on Facebook or Instagram. Tell a bunch of friends. Tell David Hasselhoff. And we will say goodnight. Bye-bye. Bye now. Bye. 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 Bye.